Welcome to the Magic Kitchen. This week, we're going to talk about educating yourself, navigating your path, and navigating occult and esoteric knowledge. I'm Leandra Witchwood. And I'm Elise Wells. And welcome to the Magic Kitchen podcast, where we talk about magic, kitchen witchcraft, herbs, and everything in between. So I'm here with Elise. This is Leandra Witchwood, and this is the Magic Kitchen Podcast. And this week, this time, this episode, we are going to talk about educating yourself and ways you can do that. So we're going to start by talking about the obvious, reading. I have so many books I could recommend. I have, we'll put a link in the blog notes on it. And I'm sure, Elise, you have so many books that you could recommend, too, because there's some really, really good ones out there, right? Yeah. And I think that's part of getting the, the hardest part of getting started as a witch is deciding what to read, prioritizing what to read, yeah. slogging through. You'll be on your fifth book and realize that that first book you read actually wasn't that helpful. So starting is the most important part. Just start. Just read one. If five of your friends. I started with... Uh, Silver Ravenwolf. Mm-hmm. And some people really dislike her books. Some people say she's the greatest writer. So, you know, it's it's a very personal path when you get started. So it's it's don't don't judge yourself too much in the beginning. Just read. And I, I think don't compare yourself either. You see people who read 20 books in a week. Read one book, get through it, digest the information. And some of us have to read the book step away, maybe journal about it and really kind of internalize it before we move on. And that's fine. Your path is your path. So don't feel like you have to make this huge, massive progress all at once. So read books, read subjects that are super interesting to you Mm -hmm. and continue. Just don't ever stop. That's, that's the only advice I could give on that one. (laughs) Yeah. Always be reading and starting if this is your first foray, if you have just clicked this podcast because you're trying to get educated for yourself, you're trying to read, you're on your own with it, like we all are. I think, really, we all start alone. Pick one book. Go to Goodreads. Goodreads is a great resource. Go to our link in the description and pick one book. I recommend, if you can, owning it yourself. Um, or if you get a Kindle edition at the library, a pro tip is that you can export those notes for free. So if you go to the top right and you press the um, notes that you've highlighted, you can actually export those to yourself for free. And if you have Goodreads, it does it automatically onto your Goodreads um, where it stays private, but you can access it. (laughs) That's good to know. I didn't even know that. (laughs) Yeah, it's so helpful. I actually, when I started reading, because you want the collection, like you want the shelf in your house of your pagan books, but I bit the bullet the past two years and I got a Kindle for my birthday last year. And since then I've, I've pretty much been reading pagan books exclusively on Kindle because of that, because I can print it and put it right in my book of shadows later. And, and I, when I started, like we didn't have Kindle, we didn't have blogs, we didn't have the internet. (laughs) I'm dating myself. I know, but we had the library. And we had bookstores. So we had very limited information. And it, I think it made it harder to get a real understanding of what's out there. Because you were limited. Like we only had Silver mm-hmm. Raven Wolf. Or we only had Starhawk. Or we only had um, Uncle Bucky, Raymond Beckland. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we had very few books that were available to us. Because for one, the libraries, the bookstores did not really stock the section that I was interested in. So 
I think also with reading, not just stick to the occult or the esoteric books or the witchcraft Wiccan books, go find subjects that are related to what we practice and what we believe. Read books about nature, about science. Read books about um, quantum physics. Read books about sacred math and shamanic practices and that sort of thing. There is so much out there that links and, and connects with this path. You don't have to stick with, you know, just one genre or one ideal system. Yeah. And if you have been reading a while, you might have noticed that almost every book on witchcraft is geared towards beginners. And I have thought and thought about this. And I found a couple resources online that basically everyone says the same thing, that that's because advanced witchcraft becomes personal. Mm-hmm. So there can't really be a book on that because you are specializing at that point. So one of my advanced witchcraft books is probably um, my favorite ever. I've read it like six times and I've only found it two years ago. It has like several notes in it, um, <laughs> but it's called Inanna Lady of Largest Heart. And she's she's my favorite goddess. She'll be my patron, I think. I think that's the path we're on together. Um, and it's also the first book ever published, literally like 8,000 years ago in Sumeria. And it's now been translated into English by Betty DeShong Mador. So I can put a link to that book in, in the description too. But advanced witchcraft, for those of you listening that are like, well, how do I educate myself further? I did the witchcraft for beginners list. I, I think specializing, finding your favorite goddess, finding your favorite um, writer that did your beginner book. What else have they written? Starhawk is my favorite author. I've loved everything by her. She's she's phenomenal. I love her too. Um, Kala Trobe is another really good writer. I'm not sure how many books she's writing now, but she's written a few that really helped. They they are sort of beginner, but they help you move a little bit beyond that cusp of the intermediate beginner master phase. They, she helps you kind of dig deeper a little bit. And um, I think that's what we were looking for when we, you know, do the beginner books and we're kind of done with the beginner books. Yeah. We need to challenge ourselves further. And I found, you know, not just, you know, trying to find deities to help push me a little further, but ideas too, and types of magic. So maybe tea magic is your, your jam and you're really digging the herbs and how to use them in tea and, different ways. So maybe finding more books on tea and blending herbs and herbalism, all things that connect in with that, that'll help you uh, create that foundation so that you can practice what you are drawn to. And witchcraft books, almost always, once you hit the advanced stage, don't actually have the word witch anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) It's just plant medicine. And that might be your best book for your practice. Yep, absolutely. And I think there's also that that element of shamanism that starts to come in to the witchcraft um, bubble when you reach a certain point. It becomes very connected to everything. You realize everything is connected. And what you do now will affect you later. What you say to someone now will affect them later or immediately. And the magic you do now may affect you later. So we start to realize that there's more, there's more, there's just so much more available to us and we can tap into that universal connected energy. And I think that's where we start to pull away from the beginner stage into the more advanced and master stage when we recognize that we are a piece of the whole. And you don't get that from a book. They can tell you that in a book, but you don't necessarily feel it. You don't Embody. You don't internalize it. Yeah. I like embodying it. Yeah. It's it's when you feel like it's time to put down the book and get out that the books have worked. Yeah. <laughs> and and make sure I really want to stress this one because I, I see a lot of people rushing, rushing yeah. to know it all, rushing to have all the answers. You're not going to. This is a lifelong journey. This isn't something you do for a week or six weeks and all of a sudden you're a master. Like I see, mm-hmm. <laughs> I see these classes, you know, get your third degree Wicca certificate in six weeks. No, that's not how it works. They're just spewing knowledge at you that you will get on your own if you just walk the path. 
But when it's shoved in your face and you're not ready to digest it, if you're not ready to internalize it and embody it, it's not worth anything to you. I found this with books that I have read when I was a newbie, went back 10, 20 years later to read it again, and it meant something different. I I grew and the knowledge in it, either I realized, oh, that was just crap they were spewing, or I found some other golden nuggets in it that I was like, oh my God, only if I had realized this 10 years ago, I would have totally accelerated my process and my my path. <laughs> yeah. You have to be ready for it. You have to be ready for the knowledge. It could be right there in front of you, but if you're not ready to embody it and use it and utilize it, it's not worth anything to you. My path to the craft was, as I'm sure many of us can relate to, it was very indirect, but at the same time, it started to feel like I had always been on this path. And when I first started, I was 17. I was a senior in high school and I went to the library. I checked out every book I had. I turned out I was very fortunate because our head librarian at that local library in my very small town in the middle of Amish country, Pennsylvania, was Wiccan. So she had a lot of, at the time, really good books. This is 2013. Um, and I started with Solitary Witch by Silver Ravenwolf. And I made it maybe 120 pages in before I felt extremely overwhelmed. I was like, I can't even make a circle right. Like, I, <laughs> I just remember like trying so hard to like, I was like, I'm, I'm saying it wrong. I stumbled over my words. Do I have to start over? And then so I just took a break. And I actually picked up a fiction book um, called Love Spells. I think it was called, no, Garden Spells, Garden Spells by Sarah Addison Allen. And now it is a fiction book and it's very fictional, but it helped me get into remembering why I wanted to get into witchcraft. So then after that, I went back and I finished Silver Ravenwolf's book. I picked up Celtic Wicca by Jane Rayburn, which I haven't met a lot of people who have read that one, but it is very, very good. And it doesn't even have very many reviews on Goodreads, but Celtic Wicca by Jane Rayburn is a very good book. And she goes through the deities, but she also goes through Celtic practice. And since then, I've read some books on pure Wicca. Um, and I felt like it was more applicable to just general witchcraft than Wicca. But that book helped me get connected to deity in a way. I, I When I started out as a pagan, I didn't think I was going to be pagan. I thought I was going to just be a witch and I wasn't going to work with deity. But deity works with you. <laughs> it's like you don't have a choice in the end. So Bridget was my first who reached out to me. And um, that was pretty much all I, I had was my personal self. And I didn't tell anybody. I had that imposter syndrome of I'm not really a witch until about three years later, um, my second year in college, I was talking to a girl who was a very out and proud witch. And I realized I didn't even know how to say the words. I thought it was Samhain because I had never talked to somebody about witchcraft out loud. I hadn't had to say it. So I, then I felt even more embarrassed, but she helped me to like learn those little things. And just by talking, by putting it out loud, it helped me feel like a witch. Um, but I was solitary for four years um, before I found my coven. And really, my coven found me. I happened to be invited to an event that my high priestess was in charge of. And I, I met her there and just felt so called to it. And it was just a perfect organic situation. Um, and then since then, unfortunately, I had to move about an hour from there. So I'm still part of the coven, but I'm like an hour away. But I, I reached out to local events. Facebook groups started to get popular around that same time. So, you know, it it's now just my life. Like as I'm talking, I'm getting messages from a women who run with wolves book discussion that I'm in with five other women just because somebody posted about it. And I said, sure, I'll join. So letting your path guide you don't say no to things is probably my biggest advice. I mean, unless you get the bad vibes, but if you have nothing keeping you from it, except 
just natural anxious hesitancy of like, what if they don't like me? What if I don't really like it? What if I don't like them? Just try it. Just find out. Yeah. And I, I started, it, I think I started as a child because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, looking back. Yeah. Oh my God, like I would. Okay. So I, the bedroom that I had when as a child, the moon would rise right over the bedroom. So there's, she would just shine right into my room, like literally keeping me up at night, which I don't mind now, but as a child, you're like, what the hell? <laughs> so I would literally take the screen off my window, climb out the window into our backyard and lay in the grass under the moon. And it wasn't later oh. that I realized that was drawing down the moon. That was moon bathing. And so I was raised in a very Christian household. So of course, you know, anything to do with Wicca, the occult, any hippy dippy, that was the word they would use. Any hippy. Yeah. That's familiar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Was absolutely, you know, ignored. I was even a missionary in high school. Yeah. I was the whole nine yards. (laughs) So, (laughs) so when I got out of high school, like I re I saw the hypocrisy of the church I saw how much you're only valued for the money you can put into the plate every week mm-hmm. or how much time you can spend volunteering for the church and giving them everything that you have basically. And it, the hypocrisy like slapped me across the face as a very young, but apparently wise <laughs> child, you know, 18 years old. I still consider that being a child in some cases. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's when I started just researching everything. So I started learning about Buddhism and Taoism and just nature spirituality in general. And that's what led me to the Wiccan path. And it's a funny story because my sister was on a similar path. And my sister's 12 years older than me. So we were kind of doing this discovery together. And this was when basically nobody had a home computer. <laughs> Websites were just a very new, fresh thing that nobody quite understood yet. So we were coming home from the grocery store. She's driving and she starts talking about, well, what about Wicca? I'm like, what the hell is Wicca? <laughs> Cause I had never heard of it. <laughs> so she's like, well, you know, it's like nature spirituality. And she started going on. I'm like, Oh no, that's, that's Satanism. That's devil worship. And as soon as she stopped the car, I literally opened the door and walked out of the car. <laughs> into the house like my my deeply ingrained christian self was still there even though i was i was working through the process of dissolving that it was still there (laughs) so it wasn't for another few months where i finally like loosened up a little bit and relaxed my grip on that old ideal system and i started actually reading um some books she brought home from the library and because literally like the apartment we had was two blocks away from our local library. So we could walk oh, nice. and check out books. It was nice. And we were in San Diego at the time. So it was a little more progressive. So there was a little more opportunity there to learn. But we, in all of our wisdom of the future, got a computer. <laughs> and so we had a computer <laughs> in the house and we had internet. And we started, you know, finding all these websites that described what Wicca was and what witchcraft is and pagan deities and paganism and the whole umbrella underneath and basically that was I was what 94 ish 95 and I haven't looked back since so it's been a long time and since then I mean God so many resources and things out there and when I moved to Pennsylvania I found a coven here and I learned from them I learned two things really importantly I learned a little bit about Wicca, but I also learned a lot about what to look for when seeking out a coven and seeking people to work with. They taught me some really hard lessons that I try to pass on to everyone who listens to this podcast and reads the blog, because I think it's important for us to know that that not all people in this path, on this path, are good people. Yes. And that's a hard lesson to learn when you're trying your best to do it right. So that was part of my path is really learning that hard lesson. But through that, it led me to my mentor and teacher who really did know her stuff. 
and really did teach me a lot about the craft and encouraged me to learn from other people and other styles and other paths and to really explore this, this whole wide universe of knowledge. And I'm grateful for that. Even though it was a hard lesson to learn, I'm grateful for the lesson. Yeah. And I would give that word of caution too. There is now I'm blanking. Which book is it? it I know it's either Margot Adler in Drawing Down the Moon or it's um, Starhawk in Spiral Dance. But one of them has like that chart. Have you, do you remember that where it says like, it's a yes, no, maybe. And if you have more than like five yeses on this chart or two yeses or something like that, don't go to that group. And it is an excellent resource. It's like a very quick, like one pager that you can use to assess any event, any leader, especially leaders, because as we know, people don't always wield power with empathy. I have and a, um, my blog too. So we'll link it in the. In the perfect. Because I have one that's very thorough because well, one example, um, our coven um, just took on new students. And what I, what we do is we have um, kind of a vetting process through the study group where we determine their really their eagerness, their willingness, their dedication. And part of, and we do this through the lessons. So the lessons we teach are related to different subjects. Our very last subject is related to finding a teacher, whether or not they stay with our coven and choose to, to join our coven or if they embark out and take the knowledge I've given them and find their own. And through that last class, this, this round, I had two women come to me and express to me that they didn't realize they were being abused and manipulated in the coven they were in because <laughs> nobody had expressed that to them, that there oh. were warning signs that there were things that you just should not allow or should be taken advantage of. And I'm so grateful to be able to help people that I don't know. I didn't know them then. I just knew them as mm -hmm. people in the group that I was talking through different topics with. And that's, to me, that's what this path is about is helping each other and helping ourselves mm -hmm. be better per people. Mm -hmm. And not everybody out there has that same goal. Some want power, some want notoriety, some, I don't know, they're trying to fill some void somewhere. They like mm -hmm. that sense of power and control. Okay, so since we were talking about finding a teacher and qualities of a teacher, let's just dive right into that in this section. Um, I touched on, you know, the things that I shared in the study group that helped new students understand that there were certain things that were not expectations in the craft. And I think that's important. So finding a teacher, you want to do your research. You want to ask them questions and you want to make sure that the answers they're giving you feel right, but also that they track in your research you do on them. I have witnessed too many times where people think they read, they read a couple of books and they think they can just jump into being a leader and running a coven and managing people. That's a very hard job. And I don't think people understand how difficult it is. You don't just jump in and become the grand poobah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah some people are, are natural born leaders, but I think sometimes we, especially as newbies, as, as, as very new to anything, we tend to put too much trust, maybe, uh, or to, we, I can't find the words. It's easy to feel safe. It's yeah. easy to feel safe when you are comfortable with your path. Like we said, most of us start alone. I think. I don't know how you couldn't really, unless you're very lucky and you actually know someone pagan, which like, if you do, that's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah, like I think we're starting in that generation now. Like there might be people out there who were raised pagan and that just makes me so happy. <laughs> My kids are, yeah, they have access to Yeah. All. <laughs> oh, I love it. But I, I, side note, I think this is the first generation that is. No, I'm, yeah. um, but I think that safe feeling that we get when we read those books, we need to, we need to be more discerning of who we feel safe around because so many people 
And you might not be the best energy worker when you look for a teacher. So you might not actually pick up on it or you might pick up on their magical power and that might, you know, mask something else that's going on. But I would say secrecy, the way that covens treat secrecy is a big indication because I understand lots of traditions have secret rites or they have secret words or names. That's fine. But some people will say when you first message them about, hey, I saw you have a coven in your you're taking seekers and they say, well, we can't tell you any of that until you arrive. Or if they say like, well, we need to have a full body picture of you. Mm-mm. Or if they say, are you planning on having children? This, this happened to a real friend of mine. Um, she was pregnant and they said, well, we don't allow pregnant women in our circles. And this is a goddess based religion. Mother huh? is right there. So there's a lot of shady stuff that people will try and mask in this. Well, it's tradition. And it's not. It's creepy old men, usually. <laughs> yeah, and that's the truth. Like, this becomes a, a good grounds for people, for predators, toxic patriarchy to sneak in and become, become dominant. And when, I'm, when I search for a teacher, I want to know where they've been, who they've been with, I want to see them on social media. I want to see what they've been doing. If they're not on social media, then what are they doing? Who are they? Um, And I don't know too many people, even our elders that are not on some sort of social media or have some sort of website or something. Yeah, even if it's run by someone else in the coven, they should have a presence that isn't some huge, big, you can't tell anyone the address. Right. Right. That's not safe. And most of the time, if if you have found a quality teacher, they will answer all the questions you have about them. You know, who mm-hmm. did you study under? Where did you get your degrees? If there's a degree system, um, did do you are you just book taught or are you actually trained in a tradition? What is the tradition? If you're trained in a tradition, tradition, what are my expectations? What do you expect me to do? And okay, so one thing that I really want to caution a lot of new witches to this path is sexual acts, Mm -hmm. nudity, drugs and alcohol are not ever mandatory. Mm -hmm. Any coven that's going to tell you that it's mandatory for you to give too much of yourself or manipulate you using words, substances, sex, or any of that. If any, if you guys, I can't express this enough because it happens so often and it baffles me how this happens that people are led to believe that this is just how we do things. It's not, mm-hmm. we're not, it, it's not how we do things. It's not okay to manipulate control or sway anybody to your cause because for whatever reason that you choose, for whatever superiority complex you may have. And it's, and you have a right as an adult seeking out the craft that you don't have to partake and they are not the only people in this world who will help teach you. And another very good point to make is that minors who are accepted mm-hmm. under male students, especially and I've seen this in our own town, how a male student was teaching a, a young 16 year old. And I, I, I don't think that's okay. There's, there's a red flag there. Yeah. And any red flag you find question it. Absolutely question it. And for those younger witches out there who are 16, 17, and you don't want to wait, like you want to do something. My advice, because I started around your age and we we were talking about childhood. Like I I was making potions in my own tarot decks in kindergarten. Like I, I get it. I know you're impatient, but you've waited this long. I hate to say it, but wait a little bit longer. Just wait till you're 18 because just those two years or that one year or that six months, if you're 17, those experiences that you'll gain, those that that intuition that you'll have for people will be stronger if you have friends you can go with that's great if your mom or your aunt or your older friend who is already out in the world can take you that's great but i i would very much sad to say i would probably caution against 
a solo student teacher relationship at, at your age. But that's not to say you can't go to a public event. There are local events on Facebook all the time and they're in public places and they're huge. Um, if there's a reclaiming group around you, Baltimore reclaiming always has open events and I've gone to them. I'm not part of it um, as a organization, but I, I make my donation when I go and I always have an amazing time. And there's so many people there that I, I feel a lot safer. Um, look for CUPS, C-U-U-P-S. That's sponsored through the Unitarian Universalists. So that happens in a uh, religious building. So it's safer, in my opinion. Join an online book club. You know, it's online. It's on Zoom. You're fine. No one's going to hurt you there. But try to do low stakes events first. Really test the waters. I got very lucky, but I honestly did not ask enough questions when I joined my coven. I didn't. I I felt like if I did, I would be told that I can't know that answer. How dare you even ask? And I don't know why. I, my high priestess isn't like that. You know her. Like, <laughs> why would I think that? I don't know. It's just sometimes part of that, especially for women. We, we're shot down a lot. We're, we're told that we're talking back by teachers. So we kind of have this like zone we get into. <laughs> yeah. We get in this weird place of like school equals hierarchy teacher is above me. And that's not true. You're not actually finding a teacher. You're finding a mentor and a mentor is an equal relationship. And I think that's a good point to make because in every group is different. Like your coven, there is more of a hierarchy. You have a hierarchy yeah. and you have degrees that you work through. My coven is yeah. very different. It's very circular. It's more dynamic. Um, so that's something to really get to know before you decide on a group that you are considering is what is their structure? Like in my group, it, it, since it's so circular, we all take an active role in leading, teaching and learning. And it, everybody's responsible. It's not just put on one person's shoulders to teach. So how I work it is we have our study group. People who are interested in the coven come through the study group. They work through the labyrinth that I create as far as our, our lesson plans. So we earth, air, fire, water, spirit. And it's that's similar to what you guys do, I believe. Yeah. And when you work through that, at some point you become, you're not the student anymore. You're a teacher. So the, the younger or newer members of the coven move on to teach the study group. And those who have been with the coven a lot longer, we are managing the coven. So it's a very different circular pattern that flows more like a spiral rather than a pyramid. Yeah. And so understanding that there's different styles of leadership out there is an important aspect to, to consider when you are trying to find a coven that works for you. If you don't like to be told what to do, how to do it and when to do it, hierarchy is not going to be for you. <laughs> yeah. If you work more democratically, I guess, where the suggestion is made and you have more of an option than a demand put on you, then maybe more of a circular leadership or a partnership leadership is better for you. And maybe what's right for you right now in this phase of your path is something with hierarchy because you're not quite ready to be Maybe I'm talking about myself, actually. No. You're not quite ready to be in in the teacher role or you don't feel qualified or you've got the imposter syndrome again talking to me. Um, Good point. You know, so take your time. Yeah, no. And that was a great point to make, because when I first started out, I needed that structure. I need yeah. discipline of a hierarchy to help me make that solid foundation to where when I moved from the hierarchy and started practicing with a reclaiming group, which is more of Dianic, it's similar to what I practice now and how, how our coven functions right now, I was able to be more freelance and less structure-oriented. Um, I was able to, to follow, the, follow the lead of the person next to me or able, I think it's more of an intuitive thing. It's, it's You get to a point where if you allow yourself, you can sense the direction of the energy in circle mm -hmm. and yeah. follow the direction of the energy of the coven and the group you're with or the teacher you're with. And you start really balancing each other out and, and intuitively taking the, the 
directions you need to take in order to benefit each other. Yeah. And it is that, that connection between members too, that can be hard to have with certain members can be easy and natural with others, Mm -hmm. but it's the overall energy that you're trying to tap into that, that you want to make sure you like, (laughs) does it vibe with you or not? So at least last time you talked about attending events and how to, you know, either find safe groups. So let's talk a little bit about more about attending those events, maybe some of the etiquette that you might want to observe and how and where to find these groups and what to look out for. So I know um, part of a big part of my growth in this path was finding public rituals to attend because that gave me a very good idea of what other groups do, who they Mm -hmm. worship, how they function, the, the um, overall air of their attitudes and what they're willing to share versus what they need to keep silent. And um, pagan pride is a great yeah, often, attend a pagan pride event in your area and find some people to talk to to connect with. You might find people there who run covens that are looking for new members, or mm-hmm. maybe they have a study group or a book club that they offer. Um, you know, you said cups, and um, it used which fox used to be the great <laughs> resource. I know I miss it so much, but um, well, darksome moon, darksomemoon.com yeah. is. It's newer. It's, I think, seven years old. Um, And full disclaimer, I do write articles on there occasionally, um, but that's not why I'm mentioning it. It's also trying to be WitchVox. It was created with that intent to replace WitchVox. So it's a great resource for finding local events. You can type your zip code in, but you can also find covens that are taking seekers into their outer court. Or Another one is Magica Mandagora. We'll... we'll We'll keep a link in there for you for all these things. Facebook. Oh, Facebook. Yeah. Absolutely. That's where I find a lot of them. Sometimes people don't actually have a website. They might just post a Facebook event or they might have a mailing list. But if you're not on that, you might not know about it. So you have to find it on Facebook. So find your local Facebook groups for pagans in your area and that'll be a gold mine. There's witches balls almost every Samhain um, in some er- I actually have never gone to one because I've never had a date. So I was like, oh, I don't want to go alone. <laughs> but <laughs> but they sound awesome. The pictures always look good. They are fun. They are a lot of fun. And you can find some really cool, cool people there to connect with. <laughs> Another good resource is your local Wiccan pagan um, metaphysical store. Sometimes they have yeah. boards that you can check out. Maybe the owners know of some groups that frequent them. Um, if you're in the York area, feel free to stop by my shop. I just opened it up. That's why we were on such a hiatus. And we'll help you. Like, we'll help you find people that are quality. And it's, it's. I figure it's my it's my responsibility to help the next generation or else. Yeah. What else do we have, right? Absolutely. And, yeah, try it. Like. And don't be afraid. Like <laughs> the worst thing that happens is they say no or don't answer you. And I think right. that's the biggest stunter of our progress and our growth is being afraid, thinking that we're going to be rejected immediately and believing that yeah. we're rejecting that we're rejecting ourselves really is what we're doing. Even mm-hmm. though we haven't given the other person or the other group a chance to even consider us. So definitely like, get out there and check it out. For people who are more timid and you're you're actually not even sure if you like the label witch or the label pagan, if you're still not even, if it's not even imposter syndrome, you're really just not sure. I can't recommend enough going to places that pagans are comfortable, like bookstores. Just walk around, just exist. Go to a fairy festival. There's fairy festivals in like 40 states right now. So go to one. Go to the Renaissance Fair in your state because that's where pagans are going to be. And you'll know us because we'll have pentagrams and makeup that's colorful or lots of black or, you know, you can, (laughs) yeah, you'll find us. We will be there and you'll be surprised who 
the the goddess I'd like to call it the goddess puts in your path. Like there were pagans that I didn't even know were pagan until I told them I was pagan, and then they're like, "Oh, I've been pagan for two years." And it's like, even to this day, it's happening more and more with like childhood friends, like people that I'd been connected to in the past. Turns out we're actually on the same path. So, you know, finding people even at non they're not labeled as pagan events. You might be surprised. Like at fairy festivals, I don't recommend being a smoker. But if you are a smoker, when you go to the smoker area, you will meet the nicest people. Like I've met some of my favorite acquaintances that I now recognize at other events. And we always say hi to each other. We don't know each other's names. We don't, we're not friends on Facebook. But it's these little micro connections that make, that make it fun. Yeah. Just be ready. Be smiling. Be happy and people will talk to you. Connect. Just you don't have to be best friends with everyone. Just say hi, smile. And I guarantee you, this is going to be an arbitrary made up number, but 90% of us who are (laughs) witchcraft, pagan, friendly or active look pretty damn normal. You know, we don't, yes. <laughs> don't have the colorful hair, or the, all the piercings and tattoos. Like I'm a chicken. I don't have one single tattoo on me. I am me a either. <laughs> I know I don't have a single tat. Like it's so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been, I've been labeled the, the pagan Martha Stewart and the pay, pagan <laughs> soccer mom at many different intervals. So yeah, we look pretty freaking normal and that's okay. You don't have to look like the stereotypical witch to walk the talk. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all about just putting yourself out there and the and you'll when you go in with the right intention and the right attitude, you will find the people that are right for you. You will find the people mm-hmm. who you need in your life and they need you in their life. And it's an yeah. it's an amazing thing that happens when we open up and allow the universe to guide us. So now let's talk a little bit about etiquette in attending some of these events. First of all, don't be a dick. That's my biggest (laughs) (laughs) advice to anybody anywhere doing anything. Don't be a dick. Nobody owes you anything. You're not entitled to anything. Show up with, with respect and a little humility and you will get so far with people. People will share Mm -hmm. so much with you just by having a little self awareness awareness. self-awareness yeah like yes that's the word (laughs) and don't yeah and it's it's also like be aware of your level and even if you are an advanced person but like you you've been solitary all these years be aware that even though you might know your craft you don't know their craft so just take the back seat you know your craft (laughs) yeah like just (laughs) shut up and enjoy it (laughs) yeah you're right and and it's it's one of those things that if we just approach each other with a little humility and respect, we get so much farther than we do if we're puffing out our chest and walking around like we're the be all end all because none of us are. Yeah. And I would also say with etiquette, most public rituals I've been to require a little bit of setting up Mm -hmm. and a little bit of taking down. Mm -hmm. So if it's your very, very, very first time with the group and you don't feel comfortable getting there early to help set up, that's fine. I would always try and get there like five to 10 minutes early one. Then I know I won't be late. Cause that's, that's always cringy. You hate that feeling of like, I'm late to my first thing. They don't, you know, like you think you'll get off on the wrong foot. So try to be early for your own sanity, but if you can be, be early and, or stay late to take down and because that's where the real conversations happen. Yes. And that's where you get to know people. And if you, if you can find those publicly events, those public circles where they're willing to welcome other people in, they're going to pay attention to those people, especially if you're looking for a group and you think you might want to practice with this group. I guarantee you, as and I speak from experience, as a teacher, a leader, a coven founder, um, I'm looking for the people that are going to put themselves out there. I'm looking for the people who are willing to put in the time and the effort because there's no way I can do it all by myself. I do enough mm-hmm. already. I can't do it all. So if I can find people to to work with me and I can work with them and they're willing to put in the time and effort, they're almost guaranteed in. 
you know, it's it, this is nobody, like I said, nobody owes anybody anything. So for anyone to walk into a circle and demand that a teacher teach them is unreasonable. So put something forth, give something to the leaders, the coven members that is a value. And that could just mean your time. That's all they need. Sometimes it's just your time and effort mm-hmm. your willingness to fold some tablecloths and yep. put away candles in a, in a respectful fashion. Yeah. So in, in addition to the, don't be a dick comment, like, I don't want to be too vague about that. <laughs> Let's talk about like what you do and don't do during a ritual. First of all, you're not leading the ritual. If you're there as a guest, you're a guest. You wouldn't go to your best friend's mom's house for dinner and tell her how to cook the meal or tell her how to set the table and tell her how to serve the food. That's wrong. We all know that <laughs> socially. Yeah. So when you go into a circle that's public, into a public ritual that's led by somebody else, you don't tell them how to run the ritual. You don't tell them, you know, you don't you don't be disruptive. You don't act um, in a way that would annoy others. So talking over the priestess or the priest or anyone who is calling the quarters or, or lamenting about anything that is meant to be part of that service. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, like pagan pride in a big circle with all these people. And you have, you know, Jane and, and Jimmy over here having their own little private fight and not taking it out mm. of the circle. Or you have the, the two teenagers who are, they must be excited to be there because they're giggling and laughing and, and interrupting the service. Uh, I was in a ritual at Pagan Pride with Sylvan, Silver Raven Wolf. And it's so cool. It was, it was wonderful. It was a great ritual. And I, I hope that she'll come back to do that again with us because she's a very engaging and powerful leader. But during the ceremony, and I love how she did this, there were two people like, chatting, you know, having their own side conversation when she was trying to explain what we were doing in the ritual. And she just stopped and looked at them, stopped everything and looked at them and looked at them and just said, okay, I'm waiting for you to finish. And it was awesome. She was so classy about it. And it was a direct message that you're interrupting something we're doing here. And if you don't want to be here, don't be here. You can leave. You're welcome to leave. That circle was open. And you didn't have to be there. And that's the point of public ritual. You don't have to attend. If you just want to be an observer, then sit on the sidelines and be an observer. Mm-hmm. But don't be disruptful, disrupt, don't be disruptive, and don't be disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. And I also would say read the room mm-hmm. because sometimes it's like a silent type of ritual. Like there's moments of silence and those are there for a reason. Ritual is meditative. So depending on the leader, they might have moments of silence. Those are there. respect that they're there. Um, there are other rituals where you're supposed to like, like echo what they say or repeat after them or, and read the room for those too. That's another reason I would recommend if you do know somebody who's been to an event with that group, if you want to go with them, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. That yeah. can be really helpful. Like I would say most open rituals I've been to do the usual hail and welcome. And then you repeat after the priestess hail and welcome, or you go uh, at the end, everyone says, Mary meet, Mary part, Mary meet again. Those tend to be similar and common. Um, but I've just think about like, read the room. If you miss the first repeat, you're fine. It's great. Now, you know, the next one is going to be a repeat. So and, be patient with yourself, but read the room. And to, and to add on to that, you went, you touched on like showing up early and helping them set up, which it does open up the conversation. And one thing I love, if someone comes to a ritual that I'm leading publicly and they show up to help set up, I ask them and not, it, it doesn't always happen. I, I try to make it a point, make a point of it, but it doesn't always happen, especially if there's a lot going on. But as a participant, this gives you the opportunity to express to the leader of the ritual that you are new to this and you can ask them, what can I expect? And they will tell you, I will tell you, you know, yeah. If you come to me and say, Hey, I'm new at this. I have no idea what's going to happen. Can you kind of run me through what, what I can expect? Then you'll get an idea before you jump into the circle and become part of it of what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and when. 
And they may not be able to give you like a detailed account of everything, but a good leader in a public setting will tell you what's going to come up. Like, okay, we're going to do this song next. Here's the lyrics. Um, I'm going to do them first and then you can follow. Or, you know, we're going to call the quarters next and you're welcome to repeat after us or, you know, when, or say blessed be or merry meet or hail and welcome at, at the end of the call. So a good leader is going to help guide you through that because there is, there should never be the expectation that you know what you're doing or that mm-hmm. anybody coming to your circle off the street knows what you're all about. <laughs> yeah. If they do think that they have a very large head and they need oh, to check it. <laughs> sign right there. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Let's wrap up this episode and I hope that the information Elise and I provided in this episode was helpful to you. I hope it encourages you to go out and find a group that you can work with or a teacher that you can work with or just a a general direction that you can take with your education. I hope that you understand the value of learning on this path because it's super important. I really... yeah. And it's lifelong learning. So if this overwhelmed you, just go back and listen to it again sometime. (laughs) Take it section (laughs) section if you have to, you know? Yeah, pause it between sections and take some notes because I know I've always been a reader. And yet when I started on this path, it was a new kind of challenge because for the most part, you are pretty unguided. And even when you are guided, it's still very personal. So being patient with yourself, with your path, recognizing that it's going to continuously change and what works for you now might not work for you next year or in five years, that patience and the dedication, the consistency of your reading is more important than anything else you do in your education. And, and be patient with yourself. You know, at least said it, it, it takes time and don't feel like you have to know it all right away. One day at a time, one book at a time, one ritual at a time. <laughs> yep. Be patient with yourself. And good luck on your path. Yeah, good luck. Thank you for joining me in this episode. Please visit my website, leandrawitchwood.com, to sign up for my newsletter and stay up to date on new episodes, articles, and more. Blessed be. Blessed be.